Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Paper Kings Part 8, I'm Looking for a King Who Will Not Call Me Out, recorded Sunday, July 24th, 2022. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. On Palm Sunday, Jesus went into Jerusalem and everyone was excited everyone that was on the road at least, they shouted Hosanna and they were clamoring for a king that would address their major concerns. Uh, He would overthrow their enemies, the Romans. He would establish a new powerful kingdom where he would restore Israel to the greatness of the former King David, where the, the nation actually had prominence in the world. And they wanted a leader who would address the things in their lives they didn't like. And they wanted him to take them out of the control of these Romans. And they also wanted him to reform their religion. And the thing they hated the most was high taxes. And who can blame them? So think about this. I mean, many of the things that they were looking for in a leader, who isn't? At least in the world stage. But he came in and he made it clear that he came to address the real enemy. Not the enemy out there, but the enemy within us. And and to deal with our sin. Now, God has an ideal for every area of our life. Every area. He has a purpose for your relationships. He has a, a plan of action for you in terms of marriage. Uh, He has instruction on how to do life when it comes to money, sexuality, honesty, worship, church, how we respect other human beings, priorities, and how they should be lived out. But as you know, if you're honest, you would say the Jesus that we want is not always the Jesus that really is. And that's hard to hear sometimes, especially when he's pushing back at us. And he's saying to us, saying to you, saying to me, I have a different thing for you than what you're living out. I want to worship a Jesus so often made of my own design. But that's a paper king. The Jesus I invent that will fit my standards, my ideals, my values, the Jesus I think that should be, that will conform to my ways. But the Jesus that conforms, to, conforms me to his way, that's always the best Jesus, without question. But I don't want to miss that Jesus either. Now, last week, as you uh, understand with this uh, day on Palm Sunday that we talked about, We ended the message with Mark chapter 11, verse 11, where Jesus enters Jerusalem, he takes a look around, and then he skedaddles, goes back out to Bethany with his his disciples. Now, today we're going to address another paper king, and that, I'm going to call this paper king appeasement, the God that appeases me, because I do really want a God that will let some things slide, who, who will maybe make room for my allowances, And you can say, well, what kind of preacher is that that would admit that? The human one, who is much like you. And look, no one likes to be called out, do they? I mean, I don't like to be called out. 
No one likes to be told that what you're doing, how you're living, what, what you're doing in your life that, that is off base with God needs to be pull, pulled out. Nobody likes that. No one likes it to be told on the job that we're not doing a very good job. Well, do you like that? I don't like that. Or that our behavior is hurting someone, even though they've been hurting you. <laughs> you want to hear that? I don't want to hear that. No one likes to hear that we're being toxic in the fellowship. And I don't want to hear that, and you don't either. Or that our motives are selfish and are off base. When people lay truth on us, sometimes we call that judging. And so here's a fair warning for those of us who tend to be judgmental, and most of us do at some point or another. God clearly says that it's not in your position, description as a church member or a human being even to be judgmental. But it is in his. And as we discussed last weekend, judgment begins with the people of God when it comes to God. So he starts with us, the people, the people that are in his promise. That would be us. And so what do we do with Jesus' teachings when he's in a judgmental mood? We're going to find that out today. You you like those Geico commercials? Like, they're very creative. I'm not endorsing Geico. I don't, to be honest, I don't have Geico insurance. I don't. But I love, I'm endorsing their commercials. Like, there's this whole set of them, you know what I'm talking about, where people move into a house and they love their house? You know what I'm talking about? Like, they're, they're sitting there, oh, we love our house, but we have a pipe problem. And then some bagpipe guy walks through the house, you know, and then I got an angry bird problem. I got the animal in the attic problem. And my favorite one is the ant one, A-U-N-T. The couple sitting on the couch and they say, oh, we love our house. We love our new place, so much space, but we have an ant infestation. And then... And then his parent's sister comes around the corner and says, you're slouching again, Ted. Every time I see it, I crack up. Makes me laugh now. (laughs) But anyway, God loves you. And the scripture teaches that when you become a Christian, you become a Christ in. He he comes to live in. He He comes to dwell within your life. And that means that for him to be there... He's got a clean house. He has the right to clean your house because it's his house. And so if you're a Christ in, that means you let him reside and you let him change. So what we're going to see today is a Jesus that enters into the house and he calls them out and he changes everything. So let's read through the passage. I'm going to do some stop and goes, talk about what's happening. And then let me ask this question. What can I expect from a God who will at times need to clean house and call me out? What can I expect? First of all, he's not afraid to poke around, okay? He's just not. Verse 11, again, Jesus entered Jerusalem. He went to the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late... He went out to Bethany with the 12. So he came in and he poked around. He observed, took a 
took an evaluation. Uh, he looked at some things, and he, I think what he thought was, and he knew that going in, but he had to see the, the, he had to show the apostles what's going on too. And he looks around and he says, okay, guys, I think I, need, I, I know what I need to know. We're coming back tomorrow. Now, let's see what happens then. Verse 12. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, so that it's morning, Jesus was hungry. Seeing at the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he, so he had to actually go out of his way to go over to this fig, fig tree. See that? When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. So there's that. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. So here's the second thing that we can expect from situations where God calls us out. If he finds something that's not good, he's probably going to curse it. Okay? Now, you have to admit, this seems very uncharacteristic of the Jesus we know and love. A fig tree of leaves, not bearing fruit, comes across the poor plant. What did that poor plant ever do to him? And he lays judgment on the plant. And his judgment is, you were made to bear fruit. You're not bearing fruit. I mean, the tree's a pretender. It's an image without a reality. And believe me, Jesus wasn't just some hangry prophet who didn't get his morning, morning fruit bowl, and so he's ticked off. It's not what's going on here. He's showing his disciples progressively what is going to happen to the nation of Israel. Because the Old Testament Israel is compared to a fig tree in several different occasions in the scriptures. The nation of Israel had lost its fruit bearing glory. It had become very inward focused and forgotten that they were a nation for the nations. And so God intended for this nation to be the, be the portal to save the world, and they'd forgotten that. So this is a warning to them and to us, for that matter. Bear my fruit. And his fruit, make disciples. As the Great Commission says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Baptize, teach them to obey I'll be with you always till the very end of the age if you're on mission with me to be a fruit-bearing nation. This is a warning for the church. It's a warning for me personally. What kind of fruit do I bear? I mean, what if, what if you snuck into Earl May and you secretly changed around all the labels on the plants? And you better not, by the way. But what if you did that? I mean, so the label on the plant doesn't match the actual biological plant. And so what I want to say about that is I can say I'm a Christ in and I can have the Love Unlimited bumper sticker and I can, I can hang around with Christian people and, and I can attend church and I can, I can leave CIY because I made some kind of commitment and that's good. But those labels, if they don't match up to the reality of how I live my life, that means I'm a pretender. So for them at that moment, and, and by the way, this is profound and deep, so you might want to write this down. I'm going to tell you what makes you a Christ follower. Ready? What makes you a Christ follower? 
you're following Jesus. Isn't that, isn't that profound? You're following. It's not just what you call yourself. It, it's what is being produced because you're actually lining your life up with his life. And so we need to see that he comes and lays judgment on the religion of the priests in the temple, which leads to the next thing that we can expect in situations where God calls us out. Ready for this? He will judge rightfully and accordingly. So verse 15, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. And so he overturns tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And, and listen, as he taught them, he said, is it not written? My house will be called a house of prayer. Here's the key statement. For all nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. So he enters in the courts, and again, he knows what's going to be there. It will be a first century swap meet where people are selling doves and, and uh, lambs to the holiday crowd. And understand, in the first century, every good Jew would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem once a year if they could, and they would, they would need to bring a sacrifice to the temple at this time of year during the Passover celebration. And so, you know, they would be commanded to bring doves or a lamb, uh, some other various uh, things that, that would work for their sacrifice, depending on their economic status, quite honestly. But what a hassle to have to, you know, bring a lamb along as you're traveling, you know, 40, 50 miles with your family in a caravan. So, so okay, the temple provided for that. They, they had animals that could be purchased for convenience sake. A, not a bad thing. On top of that, when a person would come to Jerusalem, they might pay their tithes, but for all of this, you couldn't use Roman money because Roman money was considered filthy money. So they had to exchange the currency using temple shekels. Now that is where the real bait and switch happened because the money changers could make exorbitant amounts of money in that change-off, and the temple priests are the ones who profited. It was quite lucrative. The temple actually wasn't that all, all that big. It, you know, it's like, it's like less than 40 acres, I think, covered the temple. I've never been there, but I've, in my research. So what happened is that they set up perimeters that allowed increasingly smaller access from the outside in. So I want you to think about a target, and it has like a center bullseye, and then it has a next perimeter and the next perimeter. And so in the center, in the very center of the target of the temple is the Holy of Holies. That is where one priest could go once a year to offer sacrifice to the God who would dwell there. So it's the very inner sanctum of the temple, very exclusive. Then in the next bullseye or the next target set center, you would say that would be the court of men. Okay, so that's where Jewish men could worship. Then in the next one would be the court of women. Guess who? Women could worship there. And then on the outside perimeter was something called the court of the Gentiles. That's where anyone could come. 
So I want you to think about this. God's plan has always been to save all people, and he made a place or provision for Gentiles to come to begin their pilgrimage with him too. But what had happened is the Jewish religion became more and more exclusive and rejecting of non-Jews, and the house became less friendly to Gentiles, to non-Jews. So the place that was meant to attract the world to a God who wants to save the world became very exclusive. And they took that court of Gentiles and they just made it a feedlot. So you can imagine, it, you know, it didn't give off the greatest first impression to a person who's seeking God. And they come in and their place is a feedlot, livestock, you know, money changers, and all the hubbub that comes with that. And so Jesus does something pretty radical. He comes in and starts turning everything over. He becomes physically engaged in changing that. And it wasn't some mild approach by some soft-spoken guy. I mean, I don't think he came in and said, hey, guys, I, you know, I'm going to do something here just to make a point. If you want to move out of the way, I'm just going to push that table over. Boop, you know. No, this, is, this was intense. Uh, this is not just a man who didn't get breakfast and goes off. This is a God who came to take control of his house. And he picked a fight with the guys who would put him on a cross. Rightfully so. So the house had become not an open door to the nations, but a money-making profit center for a priestly hierarchy. He took it on. So that brings something else up. For many, when Jesus comes to clean house, there will be rejection. The chief priests, verse 18, and the teachers of the law heard this. They weren't there to see it, but they got wind of it. And thus began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him. Because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Now, it baffles many of us to try to understand why people would see, become so hateful, hateful and fearful that they would kill a person for what Jesus just did. But you have to understand, he was a threat to their very existence. That's what they thought. To their power, to their authority, over the people, to their religion. And this was their primary income source. And this is where it has to come back to us. What is it that you're afraid to lose if Jesus comes in? What is it that you might think, you know, I love Jesus in so many ways, and I like him in so many ways, but there's some ways that I really don't want to turn it over to him. I mean, everyone who takes Jesus seriously will over and over again be challenged to consider the kind of temple that he will live in. Because the Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I don't mean we, this church building. Don't even go there. No way. Some people want to make this the temple. Don't do it. Don't ever do that. We could do better if it is, okay? It's a gymnasium. Did you, did you notice that? Okay. I like it, but it's no temple. You know why? He didn't make this the temple. You know, who, who did he make the temple? He made you and me the temple. 
And so there's going to be some tables that get turned over sometimes. And there's some wild animals in me that have to be driven out sometimes. And either I will cooperate or, and listen to me, and you have to understand this is really true, I will cooperate or I will kill him. I will eliminate him from my life. So he points out something that's become entrenched that I have to make room for him, and that is a consistent thing with his purpose for my life, and that means I've got to look at my life all the time and say, Lord, is there something you need to take out because it isn't consistent with you dwelling within me? Maybe it's an attitude, an attitude that puts me in the place of some self-righteous, superior person because I have some kind of religion. Maybe it has the effect of repelling people from the temple and barring others from access to God because I'm being that way. This old temple, it was set up in such a way that it placed access to God in stages by race and gender. And so like man, you know, a man, men, women, Gentiles. Jesus obliterated that. Let me show you some verses that show you this. Paul's statements mainly. Romans 12, 5. In Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Romans 15, 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3.6, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Jesus Christ. Just to name a few. Jesus came to upset everything. And that means that when he identifies changes that need to be made, he's going to teach us. He's a teacher. And he will go into action to change the things about you that are inconsistent with him dwelling in your life. I want you to imagine now, this is all going on, you know, and, and at this point, the Pharisees seem to be kind of far off. I imagine there were some around, but nobody tried to stop him, and so he teaches. He, he identifies the changes, and then he goes into teaching mode. He calls us out, and he teaches us. And I would say to you, what is he teaching you? What kind of tests are he putting, is he putting before you? I mean, are you open to the lessons of Jesus? I have found in my life that the lessons he is teaching me come most often not from some mouthy preacher on a pope in a you know on, on, a, on a stage or from a sermon, but in an experience where everything gets turned over. I, and the question is, do I have enough humility and submission to let him turn that over and make it different? Because, listen, he wants to replace hypocrisy with faith, prayer, and forgiveness. Look at verse 19. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. So that's day two. Day two is put behind them. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. 
Now, he makes a statement, and it doesn't seem to fit anything, but it really fits perfectly. Just understand. He says, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will happen. It will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And churches and Christians have messed that verse up for centuries and made it sound like something different than it really is. You have to understand that. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your heavenly Father may forgive you your sins. Now, I admit it's confusing. The tree's dead. That's easy, meaning that Israel's done. It's going to start over now with Jesus. I get that. That's pretty easy. But here's the thing. Have faith in God. He's telling them, God will hear your prayers, and you don't need a temple, and you don't need human priests to intermediate for you. You don't need human beings to stand between you and God. And live your life for forgiveness. How does God judge my life? How does he judge our church? Before we go any further, let me remind you that when you cross the line and follow him, and when you're baptized into Christ Jesus, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit exists in you to convict you of sin and unrighteousness. And so it's like you're taking this lifelong test with the teacher, and every time he's giving you a test, he's saying, this is what I want for you, but... He's also like the proctor who's sitting next to you while you're taking the test saying, here's the right answer. Here's the right answer. Here's the right answer. And then when you, you know, when that test is, is going to be graded, guess who's going to be standing there no matter what the grade is saying, this is my child. That's Jesus. Jesus is my judge and he's on my side. First John 2 says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. That's his ideal for you and me. He doesn't want us to sin. But if anyone does, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And listen to this. Not just our little self-righteous group, our self-group here at Third City or whatever your group is, but for the sins of what? The whole world. That's amazing. He came to save the world. Convicted of sin, save it. It's not an I gotcha test, but it's a test. And the thing I want to emphasize is that when you step over the line and follow Jesus, your debt to God has been stamped, paid in full. The wrath, the condemnation, the separation from God, he's dealt with that. If I'm a Christ follower, my penalty's been fully paid by him. And I need to be secure in that. But it would be wrong to take away the verses in this Bible, this story that tell the whole story. Yes, that means paid in full. But how I live matters. How I live before God and you, you and God and others, matters. It matters. Lord, as we commune today, we come into this with kind of a, a strong sense that you are one who does not put up with the nonsense that we so often pl-
place on you. The nonsense that somehow the way we do church has to be driven by our own wants and needs. The nonsense that makes us think that you're somehow going to appease us in the things that we want to hold on to that are keeping us from knowing you better. This is nonsense. And it activated something in you in the first century that, you know, we would call rage. Angry about what's happened to a temple that's meant to worship God and to draw people to you and instead became a den of thieves and robbers. Lord, we have to look at ourselves in this. Not around, not the guy next to us, not the person sitting in a church somewhere else. We gotta look at ourselves. We have to look at ourselves and say, Jesus, what in our life would you like to turn over and kick out? And Lord, maybe this moment can be a time when we can be honest with you about that and then celebrate something that the emblems are meant to celebrate. A God who paid the price. A God who bought the house. You're paying the mortgage. It's your place and you're letting me live there. I'm thankful, Lord. Thankful. Amen. They just not into appeasement. Uh, it's how he rolls. There's a quote I wanted to share with you. It just struck me this week in my research. It kind of summarizes how the community of Christ, the church, should function as the temple of the Holy Spirit in the world. This is from C.S. Lewis. The church exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, the clergy, the missions, the sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. Well, that raises two questions that have been kicking my tail all week long. So I'm going to lay them on you so you can share the burden. Number one, what should be bearing fruit in my life instead of pretending, posing? And here's a second question. Is there a part of your life that he would enter into and turn over and drive out? Oh, you should, you should let him. That will be really good for you. And for us too. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. 
For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.